Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio. And good morning. Welcome to Right on Radio, our 100th episode. And today I am praying that I do not get into too much trouble with any of you because there's a very distinct possibility that we may. But first, before we even get going, we've got an action-packed show for you today. We're going to answer some of your questions. We're going to address some comments from previous episodes. And we've got some new stuff to cover for you. Now, I have, I'm breaking the regular tradition on how I give Jesse's title. Now, this title is going to need a little bit of explanation because it's a two-parter and it's not done in the regular format. In fact, it's almost a tip of the hat with no offense at all to the American Indian. And in the style of the American Indian, like when they do their names, let's say a baby is born and they're saying, okay, what's the sign? And then the, the baby lets out some gas and then it's like, Strong Blowing Wind is the name of that baby. So it's kind of in that vernacular. So let me bring her on. And by the way, this title is brought to you by the SOS Army. Yes, you can sign up for the SOS Army at rightonjeff at gmail.com. Trouble number one. I know. (laughs) I'm sitting here. I mean, I'm waiting for this title now. Lobbyist against... (laughs) against oh i want to make sure i say it right she is a lobbyist against lubricalia and she petitions and prays against paganism her name is jesse zaboter <laughs> i was kind of scared there when you were talking about breaking wind i was like oh boy <laughs> this could be anything <laughs> Well, you, your, your microphone's not that good. <laughs> All right, Jesse, before we get into, you know, some of the things that obviously, you know, the, uh, the name has something to do with some things we're going to be covering in the show. And good morning to you, the audience. Thank you for joining us this morning. This is really a little bit of a celebration. We're going to talk about a bunch of things. We've got to do a Glamis decode because it's been over a week. We just haven't got to it. And you have to understand how we come up with this show. We can prepare, prepare, prepare. And then all of a sudden, just kind of Lord drop something else in our hearts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, Very true. and then we are forced to go with it. But I do want to address a couple things right off the bat, Jesse, with the last broadcast we did. Now, I want to point out to the audience, and I'm not saying this in a condescending way at all. But some of you who left comments missed the point of the show. Let me explain. The title was called Proofs or Spoofs. We clearly laid out with everything we are showing that there's misinformation on both sides. And it's almost like you can't trust anything that's being reported, even if it's being reported by a good guy on a good channel and this and that, and we have pictures. Pictures can be doctored on both sides. And they are. They are. Uh, and there's a lot of disinformation. There, There's also 
you know, half truths, we'll say, on both sides. Yeah, well, you can't sell a lie without putting some truth into it, right? Right. So, you know, when, when people say, well, that, that picture in the White House is a secret door and I'm not picking on you or whatever. Okay, maybe, but they left it halfway open. It's not so secret anymore. So that's kind of a, a spoof on its own, uh, if that's the case. But look, we don't know. Hollywood magic is just that. And, you know, another person had commented, and I get it. They said that picture when they took off this silicone mask, there's a lot of things wrong with that. That video has been disproven. Okay. But that technology exists. If you've watched a movie, you've seen it. And that's the point of it. That was the point of the information we were showing. It was just to say, look, it's, and that's why we really are not focused on all of that stuff right now. So, oh, and I do have to mention, there was someone else who wrote in there and I don't know where they got this, but they said the, uh, and we call it the cucumber club. And please do not, write the actual name in the comments because that's probably what's triggering the warning that people are seeing when they come to our channel which means we're being flagged so please do not write that none in queue thing in the comment section uh, but one person said who said it's been disproven and we never said it was disproven in fact we, we both follow it and we believe it to be true uh, and I want to say that on the record, it, it's, but there is some disinformation in there. And in there, if you look at it, it even says misinformation is necessary. It does, absolutely. All right, last thing on the last show, because usually our comments are really positive and most of them are, and thank you for that, but we do like the negative ones as well. And one person, and I hope they're giving us one more chance here, uh, in fact, a couple people pointed out, uh, we played that snippet of, uh, what's her name, Kat Kerr, who claims to be a prophetess or a seer. Now, I explicitly said before we watched it that I don't know anything about this lady and that I played that one minute clip because at one of our contributors here pointed out that she had said something pretty much verbatim to what Jesse and I had said a week before. So it was just, you know, someone else is saying what we're saying. That was it. It was not an endorsement of her. And by the way, she might be good. She might be bad. I looked up some things. She said some pretty wacky stuff over the years. So, you know, the, what the one person said in the comments is, you guys have lost credibility. I'm leaving you to go follow Jesus. And, you know, well, good, you're following Jesus. Thank you. Uh, but we did not intend to, if you took it the wrong way, uh, that was not our intention. And another person pointed out quite a few things she said uh, that seemed very, very wrong. And I concur, they do seem wrong. And I did verify she did say those things. Uh, but having said that, you know, no one is a perfect person. Um, in fact, when you look at prophets and prophecies, uh, there's a couple criteria I look for before I really follow a prophet. And first of all is you can kind of see if they watch the news a lot. And even if they are hearing from God, if they're watching the news a lot, uh, which didn't happen, you know, back in, uh, you know, a thousand uh, BC, there's going to be some influence. And even, even the good, the really good prophets of today are going to get some of their own words in there. And, you know, I think that's just part of the human experience. Um, and, you know, 
when you look at John the Baptist, a lot of people thought that guy was a whack, wacko too, right? In, in the time. But look, yeah. I don't want to be a judge, but you're right um, to the audience. And I will be more careful before I bring on someone like that and vet them more. Jesse, what do you think? No, I'm in absolute agreement with that. Um, even with regular prophets, you've got times where they are right on and they're in agreement with each other. You've got other times where, you know, you may get things that are a little off that don't pan out right. So that's, right. that's part of the gift, you know, is learning to have that perfect discernment and hear only God's voice and report just on what the Lord has said. But, you know, you really got to be on that mountaintop alone for a little while to not mince in some of your words, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. At least that's my thoughts. Look, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I, I do prophesy because we're all called to prophesy. Uh, but I don't claim to have the office of a prophet by any means. And who would want it? Honestly, it's a, so by the way, it's a privilege. But these guys do not have good lives. <laughs> you know, they, they, <laughs> Everyone comes against the prophets. They do. It's probably one of the hardest offices that there is. Yeah. And you're held yeah. most accountable, I think, more so than any others, because, you know, the biggest thing is that your your main job is relaying the messages of God to the people. And if you stray from what God has said, then you're kind of really walking on shifty ground. All right, just because it's off topic, Jesse, and I'm going to ask you to do the decode because apparently you are the Duchess of Decode. <laughs> yeah, thank um, you. A lot of people are saying that now. <laughs> I, I want to, uh, I will read out the, uh, the latest post from Glamis Calling because this really is kind of off topic of the show, but it's important we cover it uh, because they're doing this for humanity. <laughs> So this one, uh, unlike the last one, is actually written by Somerset Belanov. And it says, at the direction of Glamis, Mr. Clover has been recalled to Brussels and will not be traveling to DC in the foreseeable future as, and this is interesting because it's in italicized, calm night, italicized, is now in effect access to all frequencies is revoked and Luxembourg Cathedral is implementing cold silence over Washington until further notice. Have a care and honor your sacred duty for ancient promises must be kept. It is our prayer that wisdom, humility, and love shall inform your approach to governance. Remember that you are stewards and not despots, and that your role is to serve your nation, not rule over it. Many souls watch over your people, and the eyes of eternity are upon you. That last little part, the eyes of eternity are upon you, is in bold. What yes. say you, Jesse? Well, basically, I think, you know, what we talked about the post before that um, VibeSat, which is the quantum com communications channel, um, 
basically was put into operation by President Trump. And so what that did was basically it meant that a lot of their back channel communications for this system became unoperational. And um, so they're, they're not able to use those regular communication channels. And I believe last time we had pointed out that um, that somebody had attempted to get through on those comm channels to Washington, D.C. And it was interesting that, you know, Clarista Gingrich just happened to be at the Vatican that same time frame. And it looked like, you know, attempts were denied because people did not have the access codes anymore to those channels to be able to get through to do their secret communications. Um, well, with this, it goes a little further. Um, what's interesting is that they mentioned Brussels. Brussels is very significant. That is where primarily the Van Dyne family, um, which is one of the main family heads resides. If people remember back as well, that was one of the very first places that uh, Trump, when he did his presidential tour, um, stopped. And there was an incident there in Brussels uh, where out of nowhere, you know, usually everything is secured when the president's there. You know, he can walk the grounds with the other leaders and there aren't any incidents or issues. But um, while he was there, they had somebody, a paratrooper from Greenpeace had flown in on into the property. And it ended up that one of the Secret Service guys died. And the story has been that um, he died of a stroke. It was not connected to this incident. Um, I have other feelings about it, but uh, so, you know, it's interesting that Mr. Clovis has been recalled to the Brussels area. So, so that implies that this Mr. Clover has connections with the Van Dyne family heads there. And, um, you know, there, there, there's a lot to this, you know, we've talked about how Luxembourg Cathedral is another name for Notre Dame in France. And um, it looks like all access has been revoked from Notre Dame. So, you know, if, if people remember um, Somerset Belenoff, when she had to kind of close down um, Bohemian Grove, she had directed people with questions or people who had communication issues or needed to get in contact with the, um, the family lines, the protectors that they were to go through Luxembourg Cathedral for those communications. And now it looks like they're implementing complete code silence, um, which means that nobody's able to communicate on those channels at all. So um, that's basically what this is saying is that all comm lines have been shut down. People who have been running those communication lines are returning home, their jobs are done. Um, yeah. 
so I, I'm reading a little bit in uh, so very similar, uh, obviously, but I'm reading a little bit differently, and I, and I'm doing this in context of the previous posts that they have. So in the previous posts, it, it seemed that there was no support for the uh, who we call the acting pedotis that is there now and implementing cold silence over Washington. And remember, it was at the direction of the former president that mm -hmm. the communications were cut. So that is interesting. And then it says, have a care and honor your sacred duty for ancient promises must be kept. And the ancient promise that was referred to uh, probably back in November, I believe it was in the November post was that they were not permitted to interfere in America. America right. was God's chosen land. This is his, you know, where he digs in his heels, so to speak. So, you know, they have to honor it because God is big, <laughs> you know, um, and, and they ask that humility and love shall inform your approach to governance. Remember that you are stewards, mean you're supposed to take care, do proper manage, not despots, which, you know, right. uh, and your role is to serve your nation, not rule over it. That sounds because look, look at the tyrannical governance that is being exposed right now by all of those democrats. Yep, and, exactly. And Republicans as well. <laughs> and now when, when they say Great the eyes of eternity are upon you, well, we don't know which spirits they're uh, <laughs> referring to there, but. Yeah. They're usually talking about the council, uh, the higher level council, including, you know, other entities. They would add that it's more than just angelic entities, but um, that's usually who they're referring to when they talk about the eyes of eternity. Okay. And listen, while we're on the political subject, I've started to decode something, but I want your help because I know there's much deeper. So I'm asking you, Jesse, and I'm asking the listening audience, the office of the former president has a new logo and I'm finding a lot of interesting things in it, but I'm not ready to present my findings on it yet. They're not thorough enough. So listen, uh, in the next few days, in the next week, if people could start looking at that logo and start to decode it and send us some information. That would be right on, right on, right on. That sounds great. <laughs> All right. So before we get to questions, and Jesse, I hope you're watching the chat. I cannot multitask that well. I will look at I, it. I am watching the chat, yes. And while you're talking, you are so gifted. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You know, it's February 14th, and you know, most people would expect something very gratuitous and say, Happy Valentine's Day, but I did not. Why? Because it goes back to ball. <laughs> this is how sick and twisted this world is. Everything, and it's all love, love, love. No, it's a pagan holiday that was incorporated 
into Christianity and given a Christian type name by the Catholic Church. That is absolutely true. It is. And by the way, when I said Lubricalia, she's a lobbyist against Lubricalia. That is the name of the ancient pagan festival. Yep. And by the way, that just sounds like a dirty word. <laughs> you know, you know if, I would encourage people not to look into it. Just trust us when we say it has to do with the ball and Ashtaroth worship and you know we know that has to do with fertility and you know sexual immorality so that's pretty much all you need to know or want to know about it um oh but I have so much more to give on this Jesse well go ahead and give Jeff I guess <laughs> well I was saying I, I think we might get into some trouble here listen I'm not going to be super graphic but Essentially, it was, you know, coming into the spring, the days are getting longer, and it was a, a ceremony for fruit, fertility. You're absolutely right. But what they used to do, so it was orgies. It was getting women by lottery. It could involve children. It involved sacrifice of goats and dogs, because apparently they're very sexually knowing what they want you know uh very aggressive so they thought it was a uh, and by the way it used to happen on february 15th and part of it was the celebration of romulus and remus which was on uh february 14th because apparently they were raised by a wolf a she-wolf and that's why they put the dog into uh, part of the reason why they put the dog into the sacrifice now when they sacrificed these animals they would take throngs out from their hide and stuff like that. And they would go through the town, men whipping the women. And women wanted to be whipped by this throng because they felt it would give them fertility. Right. But Lubricalia isn't really where it started. It started as Acridamian Mikey, which was a worship of Pan which is obviously traced back to Baal, and even it was a celebration of Nimrod. Yeah. But yet we just, like in North America in particular, why don't we ask questions about this stuff? We just fall into it. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, if we get into Pan, we know that's, you know, the God, the, the stories in other countries that he would come out of the woods in the middle of the night, he would play his flute and through his music, he would lure particularly children into the woods where they would never be seen or found again. So, you know, all these pagan holidays really revolve around that sexual immorality, the rituals, the sacrifice, you know, I brought out on some of my shows, even, um, particularly with Aquarius rising about the bestiality. And so that plays a part of this too, that it's not just that they're ritually killing animals, there is bestiality involved during this holiday as well. Okay, see, you went further than I was going to. <laughs> but listen, let, let's call it for what it is, right? Live right in the real world. 
you can't live right unless you know what the real world is. And this is one of the deceptions that has been going over us. And now, you know, my wife might think that I'm doing this show because I didn't want to buy her flowers and chocolate. <laughs> I, got I still it. think you should treat her special, Jeff. You don't, you don't want to get around it, Jeff. I you got to do something Jesse. nice what, here. <laughs> I did it yesterday instead of today. Okay. But so it's free and clear. We'll, I'm not we'll participating in the pagan holiday. All right. <laughs> so how did it become a so-called Christian holiday? So back in the day, Claudius, uh, who was the emperor of Rome, made marriage illegal for a time. And he made it illegal because people who would go into the army, a man was not did not go into the army if he was married. It was only single men. And a lot of people were essentially draft dodgers by getting married. So Claudius makes marriage illegal. And then comes this Saint Valentinus, who was a doctor and, you know, became, uh, you know, got into the, the Christian church while it was being persecuted. And he used to hold underground ceremonies, marrying young men and women in secret. But he used to wear a Cupid ring. And this is how people would recognize him. Now, Cupid, that's a whole different story. We'll get into it briefly. But Claudius ends up getting found out. He gets arrested. And all of these uh, these people who were married would come and visit him in jail and say, listen, our marriage is so good because of this ceremony that you did for us. And they'd give... So that was apparently the first Valentine's. Mm. Okay, so, you know, Hallmark did a pretty good job marketing that. Yeah. But it becomes the first Valentine's. Now, this uh, this Valentia guy gets executed. He gets his head cut off. And the Catholic Church, you know, after a while after this is happening, I think about 300 years later, realizes, okay, Christianity is on the uprising, but these pagans don't want to give up their traditions. So what did they do? They took, you know, St. Valentine, and they put it and they moved it over the day to kind of cover up and incorporate this pagan holiday into the universal church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, what's that saying? You can't put lipstick on a pig, you know? Right. <laughs> like, you so, certainly can't. They tried. <laughs> and, and by the way, so this Cupid guy, he's wearing the ring. Apparently the sun or, you know, of Venus and, and what was it? Mercury, I think, you know, which really, right. listen, the, these are fallen Nephilim. Am yeah. I right, Jesse? That's my interpretation. I don't know if I'm right. You're right on that. Yeah. The the Titans were fallen. Well, they were part of the Titan crew, the gods. With a little G. We'll emphasize little yeah, G. Yeah, little G. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, listen, they, you know, the, the Nephilim were considered gods by, you know, peoples and the pagans back in those days, right? So listen, this is all in the red rose was Venus's favorite flower. Apparently that's where that comes from. And, you know, the arrows through the heart and all this stuff with Cupid and Cupid wasn't a little boy, by the way, he was, you know, was a man, 
sort of thing. But he's always portrayed like everything is back upside down and backwards with this cabal. So every day should be a celebration of love, not just this one day. I agree. I would urge you as a believer not to fall into the trap of this day and make it an everyday thing. That, that's a good, good advice. And, and very well covered, Jeff. You got, I think, almost all that history completely. <laughs> well, you know, in brief, I could have gone on quite a bit deeper, but, <laughs> but well, to be, I, I was writing these notes kind of on the run and, oh, you can't even see them, but they're small and I'm not wearing my glasses. <laughs> all right should we get to some questions from the audience yes now i have a few that came in via email jesse i see you've been taking down some from the chat yep and by the way we have some big announcements that we're going to close this program with and i'm talking big Big yes, news. those are going to be exciting. We're going to go big. It's Sunday, the 100th episode announcements. All right. So this one is a question. Uh, oh, I didn't copy the person's name. I'm really sorry, but it came in email. I have recently heard that the original Bible is the Geneva Bible. The King James Version was rewritten to suit the opinions of those in power at the time. I wanted to ask you and Jesse before I started researching. Hope you guys are well, and thank you for all you do. Um, I would not say that's the original Bible. Originally, um, everything was translated through the Greek or the Hebrew uh, manuscripts or scrolls that they had. So that's where it originally comes from is from those scrolls. And you have throughout centuries, you know, the best way to describe it is that as you had um, people in archaeology going through these different towns like Corinth or, you know, towns near Israel, they would find these scrolls and just like books, each one was like a copy. And so they began to piece together these copies um, until they had the whole work, um, you know, where they were able to translate it. So that's where it really stems from. And then, you know, as they went through some regions, you had the, the Greek manuscripts, but then you also had a time where Israel was, you know, taken into captivity through Babylon. And, you know, as the, it went from there and then they came into the Roman culture, the Jews went from speaking, you know, Hebrew to um, Hebrew or Greek. Some started speaking Aramaic. So then you had some of these scrolls that were written in the Aramaic and other language forms. So some of the translations, you know, are translated strictly from that Greek manuscripts. Others are translated from the Aramaic manuscripts back into the Greek and then into English or from the Aramaic into English, which 
sometimes changes how the Greek turns out. So um, that's really where it originated from. And um, I've seen copies of some of those copies of scrolls and other things where they were translated from. I got to study under one of the five guys who translated um, the Dead Sea Scrolls. His name was Professor Michael Weiss. And it really was fascinating. I mean, you know, I'm trying to remember what the machine's called, but a lot of us had it as children in our classroom where they would put these clear films onto this projector that would project it on the wall. So when these translators got copies of these scrolls, it would come on these clear pieces of, you know, it's not paper, but it's like clear film that would go onto these projectors. And literally what happens is they take the scroll, they start to unroll it, they take a picture and you've got all these fragments as it gets unrolled. I mean, really it's like, it's like a puzzle. It's amazing. And sometimes you can have, you know, the, the scrolls would have different writings that were wrapped together. So as you know, they're old and they're falling apart you, you're just stuck with all these puzzle pieces. So they have to piece together these scrolls based on color, based on writing styles and, you know, fit which pieces go to which layer. It, it really is a very extensive work. Microfiche, um, was that the word you were looking for? Kind of, it's very similar to that, yeah. But um, it truly is amazing that um you know they're able to do this and and figure that out and you have to know all the ancient languages you know some of it's in mesopotamian or um you know egyptian hieroglyphics so you know not all of these scrolls are just in hebrew or greek so yeah all right. So, and I, there's a, there's another question that came up in the chat that's related to it, but I've also want to give my two cents on, on this because we've covered it before, uh, or I've said this before on the air. So first of all, let's, let's, so the, the Bible was canonized essentially in around 200 AD around, I, we don't, I don't know the exact year. I don't know if anyone really uh, can document the exact year, uh, that accurately. The King James Bible was the real translation into English in 1611. And there were over 200, I believe, scholars who worked on it and poured for years over every single word. And, you know, they did it with, you know, a lot of reverence to God. They were doing God's work. Um, and God uses people to do his work uh, quite often. But the one thing I always say, and I come back to it as sim a simple statement. If God can create the heavens and the earth that he holds the stars in his hand, he can keep a book together. That's right. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's just the, you know, again, I'm a simple guy. So I like to think of things in simple ways. And, you know, that makes perfect sense to me. Follow up question since we're talking about the Bible. Jesse, the book of Enoch. Yes. Is it real? It is real. Absolutely. Do I believe Enoch is the author of it? I do. 
So why would it not be part of the canon? Well, <clears throat> the biggest thing about the books that were all chosen for the canon is that every single one of them gives a type of, a type or like a foreshadowing of the Messiah or the Christ to come. So every single book that was chosen to go into those, to our main Bible has that foreshadowing. If the book did not, it was not included. That is the best explanation I have heard. Also, I would just add to that, and this is just my opinion, but I think that that book was saved for our time, essentially. It is very prophetic in ways. And, yeah. and there's a lot of things in that that I think would have distracted people from the message of the Bible, but it's very pertinent today. So yes, I would encourage to study it, but study it knowing that God did not put it in the Bible. Right. Uh, but, you know, I believe it was written by Enoch as well. And, you know, certainly uh, the Bible alludes to that quite a bit. And, and the Bible also backs up much many of the claims of the Book mm. of Enoch. I haven't studied it extensively, so I won't speak too much further on it than that. But it was just, uh, I think it's a great question. I think it's, everyone should read it. I All agree. right. Another question that came in from the email. I have a question for Jesse or Jeff. Do we need to be baptized with water for God to acknowledge we want him in our lives. Ah, Jeff, I'll let you answer this one first, and then I'll <laughs> give my opinion. <laughs> okay, um, so I'm going to use the exact wording of the question. Do we need to be baptized with water for God to acknowledge we want him in our lives? No, God can read your thoughts, so he can acknowledge if you want him in your life. And yes, I believe when you say the sinner's prayer with the repentant heart, a uh, very important word, and a genuine, sincere heart saying, God, I want you to come into my life. I surrender to you. You are my Lord. You died on the cross. All of those things, I believe you were born again at that time. However, the Bible does talk about baptism. Mm -hmm. And baptism is a good thing. It is an outward sign to, for your fellow man, but there's also symbology of a new life coming out of water, a new birth. And not everyone, but a lot of people get miracles when you come out of that baptismal. Uh, I did. In fact, the, the actually, I'll, I don't share much of my testimony, and I will over time. It's not that I'm being super secretive or anything like that. To be honest, Jesse's story is just way more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. We all want to hear your story as well. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about, so I was saved at 30 years old. And, you know, at, at the time, uh, I'll just tell you where my head was at. I wa walked into this church. It turned out to be a very good church, a loving church. I was hoping to call them hypocrites and burn the building down. That was my intention at the time. So um, I was not a bad guy. I always had a good heart, never intentionally wanted to hurt people, never deceived, don't have any criminal activity in my life. Just want to be clear. But, you know, I, I had some issues. Okay, clearly I had some issues. And I had, uh, you know, I read the uh, the satanic Bible before I read the real Bible. 
So having said that, uh, that gives a little bit of my past. But I, I was saved in this church, and it's a little country church, and we were going to get, uh, I was going to be baptized. And there's this little river, because it's a country church on a country road, you know, dirt roads and stuff like that, that we call this little River Jordan. And what was fantastic about it is two of my really close, dear personal friends uh, in, in just the short time I was saved had become so interested. And on the day of my baptism, they decided to jump in the water with me. Hmm. And so they became born again and jumped in the water that day. Just said, I'm all in with this. And so we were baptized in this river. It was a beautiful little ceremony. And we walk up and there's uh, to the road and there's this bridge that goes across the river on this dirt road. And we're just standing there kind of, you know, drawing off, getting ready to, to go back. And here comes this guy and he's got a uh, Clydesdale, two Clydesdale horses, but he's standing on this massive tractor tire. You know, those kinds of, you see the weightlifters, they're flipping them over as strength training. Right. So he is on this tire, standing on it, holding the, <laughs> like a chariot. And the horses are pulling him on this tire. And the guy's coming down the road, big pile of dust pile up behind him. And he stops and he goes, what's going on? And we said, well, we got baptized and we're praising the Lord. He goes, well, this is to strengthen. We're doing this. I do this to strengthen. And he kept saying, and then he took off. Like it was the most never seen anything like it before. I don't know. Maybe he was an angel. Honestly, it was so, so cool. Um, but it, it was just a great sign. And, and yeah, I did feel a, a touch of the Holy spirit when I came out of that water and stuff, you know, some people come out speaking in tongues. Some people have different experiences, but, uh, that was ours. And, you know, it was just, you know, the two horses, a guy in a tire, <laughs> like very, very cool. Very, that that's very cool. Definitely. Okay, yeah, I, second part I, of the question uh, from the same person. Her name is Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer, for this question and for keeping them brief. Oh, Jesse, did you want to talk about baptism before I move on? I was, but I'm no, not no, sure please, please, please. or something. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, how we view it is that, um, you know, when you when you ask the Lord into your heart and you confess your sins and come through repentance, there's an actual, you know, in the spirit world, you're literally entering into the grave with Christ into his death. And then you have this symbology that, you know, he didn't stay dead, but he, he raised to life and he raises us to new life. So that's really you know, some of the imagery that is displayed, you know, in baptism, usually you go under the water, representing the death, you're raised to new life. Um, that act, whether you actually dip yourself in water or not, or, you know, enter into a baptismal pool, it still happens because scripture tells us that, you know, that when we confess our sins, and the Lord forgives us, we are therefore dead to sin. And he raises us to new life, is faithful to forgive us. So, um, you know, you can, 
someone had posed the question, you know, why did Peter command Cornelius to be baptized? Um, in that culture, you know, he was considered a, a leader among the people. And so it was to be a sign to everybody that he and his entire household, you know, were, were turning away from the Roman way of life, you know, the, the ungodly way of life, and they were choosing to follow in the footsteps of the Lord. So it was to be an outward symbol. Um, is it, you know, was it meant to be an uh, absolute command for everybody in the church that if you don't do this, you can't be saved? No, it wasn't meant like that. Um, you know, we have examples of the thief who died on the cross with Jesus. You know, Jesus says to him, tonight you will be with me in paradise. And obviously he was not baptized. So, you know, it's not salvation is not dependent on that baptism. That's right. Excellent points, Jesse. Uh, by the way, uh, there's a person in the chat, Mad Dog. I, I don't know the context of what you wrote, but I didn't like what you wrote. So I put you on a timeout. Um, just want, you know, I don't want things that seem offensive in that in the chat. By the way, if one of the captains and the captains know who you are, we do need a, a volunteer that can make these live shows and do moderation uh, for this. And, and I figured out how to do it <laughs> just like last night, but didn't have enough time to implement it. So uh, that's something we're going to have to do. Uh, Follow-up question from the same person from Jennifer. And Jesse, I think this is more for you, although I, I'm comfortable answering it as well. If there are different sized or power demons can, pro can oppress, can they all be expelled with a simple rebuking in the name of Jesus Christ? And she goes on, thank you so much. Really looking forward to this show. Um, yeah, rebuking is, is the solution for that. There are times with the higher level ones, um, you know, I don't have an exact explanation as to why, but even the Lord, you know, Jesus Christ supports this in scripture. Um, you had the disciples had gone out and were trying to rebuke and came across some of these higher level demonic spirits that, you know, were principalities over certain areas. That means that they've got, you know, established grounds and spiritual rights because of sin to be, to be in those places. So they had asked the Lord, you know, we, we rebuked, but these spirits did not leave you know, why was that? And, you know, Jesus said, you know, these are the ones that you need to fast and pray. And so sometimes, you know, we need to add fasting to our rebuking. Um, and when that's the case, it's because it's more than just a spirit that's passing through that property. This is a spirit that, you know, has established rights and authority to be in that place and you have to you know battle for that ground to remove that spirit from it so <laughs> keep talking i can't do it while i'm <laughs> yeah so um i was trying to see but we had another a question that kind of goes along with that. Um, someone had asked who made the demons. Um, that was God. God did 
make the demons? Uh, did he make them as demons? No, uh, they were part of his angelic army and the angels that he had in heaven. And when Satan, who was God's top or number one angel, you know, it describes that um, he had certain um, authority and charges given to him in the heavenlies that none of the other angels had. And the way scripture talks about it is that, you know, he walked among the fire, uh, which sometimes is another word for the Shekinah glory. So he was one of those angels that dwelled in the presence of God's glory with the Lord. So very intimate relationship with God. And, um, you know, he decided because of the pride in his heart that he was God and he was going to, you know, throw God off his throne and, and rule the heavens and the earth. And, um, that was when the Lord cast him down. And at that point, the Lord gave all the angels a choice, you know, were they going to stay and serve the Lord or were they going to follow, uh, Lucifer? And so those that, you know, chose they were going to be remain loyal to Lucifer were also cast down with him from the heavens. So those fallen angels then became also known as demons. So that's where we get that concept and idea from. <clears throat> All right. So got a couple more great questions here. Uh, by the way, I'll just make a a quick comment on that as well with the size of demons and things like that. Uh, yeah, some are more powerful than others, obviously, as Jesse alluded right. to. Uh, but, you know, going back just for my own personal experience, and this is more of a tip than anything, uh, but it's something I believe God showed me. I've talked about it on the air, but Jesse and I were attacked brutally on the same night, like brutally. <laughs> and, you know, she has more experience with this than I do. I was never attacked in that particular way before. And I was calling out to God to get rid of this. And it didn't work. It was when I took authority in his name that it went away instantly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think there were multiple guys coming at me. So, you know, um, just yeah, going back to the baptism, uh, there there was a quick question about uh, what is the best age to get someone baptized? I want to answer that, if you don't mind, Jesse. Nope, go right ahead. When their child or person is of sound mind and on their own without you telling them to, chooses to be baptized by God. That could be really young, probably not a baby because you're making the choice for them. The key is the person who is baptized has to have those conditions met where they choose God in their heart with sincerity and they want God to take over their life. When they can make that choice, that is the age to get them baptized. And yeah, the earlier, the better, I would say. I, I agree with that, absolutely. Do Luciferians celebrate Valentine's Day? Jesse? Yes, they do. They celebrate Valentine's Day and La Precalia. Okay, and we'll leave it there because Lupercalia just sounds like a bad word. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. 
what about fasting, Jesse? We were asked to talk a little bit more about fasting. Um, you know, the, be the best passage on that is Isaiah 58. And I love that passage because it really brings out the heart, I'll, I'll say God's heart about what fasting is meant to be and how it's to be practiced. Um, if you go back a lot of Christian scholars, a lot of people who write on fasting or the discipline of fasting, they would simply say that it's abstaining from food and drink for a period of time. And while you're abstaining, you're praying, you're seeking God's face, um, you may be making special requests that you have at that time. And so, you know, really it's used as a means to draw closer to God, to beseech him for whatever it is that you, you know, it's not even that you want something. It could be that you're trying to get breakthrough. You know, it could be for a lot of reasons, but you're drawing closer to God. Um, Isaiah 58 puts it in a little bit of a different way. And the Lord is actually speaking in that passage. And he says, this is the fast that I require. And he says, you know, is it not so that your voice can be heard on high? And so it, you know, that terminology is actually very intimate. It, it literally has this picture that not just that you're shouting, praying that God hears you, you know, which gives this picture of there's this distance between you and God, but that, that term, your voice being heard on high, it's, it's almost like you're, you're speaking and it could even be whispering. And all of a sudden you have God's full attention and he's drawing close to you, you know, so that even if you're whispering, he can hear what you're saying and you have his full attention and you know that he hears you. He's acknowledging that he hears you. And so he says, you know, this is the fast that I desire that, you know, so God desires that intimacy with us that when we speak, he wants to turn his face to us and give us his full attention. And why, you know, what is it he wants us to seek him about? The passage goes on to say, you know, fast that your voice may be heard on high, that the bands of wickedness may be broken and the yoke of oppression ripped asunder. You know, it, it's like the old oxen yokes, this oppression that's over people. And God desires for that just to be ripped off and moved out of the way. So it, it goes even further, you know, at the end of this passage, it talks about the Sabbath, which is the day that we're, you know, we're to set everything aside. We're not supposed to work and we're supposed to connect and have this relationship with the Lord and focus just on him. And, and that passage talks about that, that as we fast this way, we enter into the Sabbath relationship with the Lord and the outcome is that we delight in the Lord and he delights in us. 
And so it's really a beautiful passage on fasting. And I would really encourage people to study that more. Um, it's not just, like I said, it's not just, you know, I'm going to abstain from this and this and make my requests known to God. That's not what fasting is really about. <clears throat> and, you know, it's something that, you know, I'm being convicted of, I don't do it enough. Uh, there was a time in my life when I would do it, for instance, just one day every Wednesday sort of thing. And I, I would really like to get back to that. But I have done long water fasts in the past. And all I would say to you is, you know, it's if you, if your cup is full of you and you want it full of God, empty your cup. Right. And in the intimacy, it's, you know, I think backwards when I, when I read passages like that, I think, what is the end goal? You know, the end goal is that you're delighting in the Lord, but you're also knowing that the Lord is delighting in you. And how many of us want that deep relationship with God? And, and then the next question is, how do I get that? Well, this tells us, how do you get to that place where you know the Lord delights in you and you're delighting in him? You get to that place through fasting which is intimacy into me see and listen i just if you've never done it um i will tell you day three is the hardest <laughs> at least in my experience day three watch out when you get past day three it's well listen it, it's not easy uh, right. but it's not as hard as you think either but there there really is something special that happens when you do that and you really concentrate on seeing into the spirit and talking to God and talking to Jesus and asking for the Holy ghost to fill you. Um, he will <laughs> just like, that's, you know, the, the best thing I can say it's, it's worth, uh, exploring. Uh, we've had a question on Buddhism, which they'd like to address, but there was another one that's come up, but from a, from a lady who is wondering if she has a special needs son. I think it was down syndrome was mentioned. And he's 42 years old, seems to be, have a very clean spirit. Um, are the, I think one of the questions was, Jesse, is he without sin? Um, you know, that's a, it's a very individual question. And I think really the only person who can answer that is the Lord. Or Jeff, uh, I've got an answer. Well, great. Well, let me give mine first though here. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have worked and spent a lot of time working with individuals with disabilities, um, you know, who, who are now in adult years, but are, you know, very childlike in their mind. And, you know, I, I think it's just like everybody else. There's moments, you know, where they do have sin. Do they have to out loud confess that sin? I don't believe so. I believe the Lord knows their heart. And from what I've experienced, God very intimately dwells with those individuals. He always provides a way for people to confess their sins and to come to him. Um, you know, some of the greatest miracles I've seen um, have been with those with disabilities to the extent where, you know, one time, you know, the Lord literally came down. Uh, I, 
you know, the person was sleeping and I saw the Lord come down and put his hand on that person's face and drew close to that person. And I knew that God was with them. You know, I didn't know if, if they had accepted the Lord or, you know, like the way that we would, or, you know, there was no public confession that that person knew the Lord. And yet I experienced that God was with them. And so to me that, you know, showed me a whole different aspect to the realm where God walks with people who can't verbally or even non-verbally make known, you know, publicly confess where they stand with the Lord. I knew I should have gone first. Your answer is better than mine. <laughs> what was your answer? <laughs> <clears throat> well, the, the, so the answer is, is, is he without sin? No, he's not without sin. There's only one who lived without sin. So that's an obvious one to me. Um, will he be saved? I, I would think so. Um, he doesn't have to go through. Uh, people who are, and I hate the word disadvantaged. And I understand that's a term that kind of works or whatever. It's politically correct. But you know what? Someone having disadvantages or whatever you want to call it. And uh, sorry, I, I'm not up on politically correct language here. But is it a disadvantage? Okay, maybe they're not going to do the same things that other people do. Maybe they need help to do things. But it doesn't mean they can't live a blessed life and they're not living a blessed life. Look, you know, someone, you know, at 42 years old and depending on the severity of, of a condition or something like that, look, you're not going to work and scared about losing your house and losing the, you, you're, you're freed from this. So what some people call as a curse, God might say is a blessing. <clears throat> Who are we to know? But I would treat them as a blessed child of God. And if you, and if you need to serve them, serve them and God will honor you and he'll honor that person. Look, you will know if their heart is good or, you know, listen, someone could have certain circumstances. And I'm not saying this about down, but, you know, some people are just highly demon possessed and that's their disability that sometimes can be cast out. Sometimes you're born with a physical sickness or illness or, or disadvantage. So they say they're blessed. They can be blessed too. They're children of God. God did not make a mistake. I guess, you know, you hit the basics on that, that one, we're all born with sin. Two, the Lord doesn't desire anybody to perish. How do people come to the Lord? It's through the word. You know, scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, you know, it's, it's the same for everybody. As we hear the word, we're drawn closer to God and we know the truth and the truth sets us free. And so these are things, you know, if you're questioning, you know, go back to the basics, fill, fill that individual's life with the word of God, speak the word of God to them. You know, I, I write out the word of God. I, I hang it in different places in my home. You know, you can put it around mirrors, you can put it in the bathroom, you can speak the word of God, you know, while you're helping that individual in the bathroom. There's a lot of different things that you can do. Um, you know, you can read them 
scripture every night for bedtime stories. You can put on praise music, um, you know, play, play with different Christian bands. There's a lot of different genres of good Christian music out there. Every person, I mean, I guess I can't say every, but almost everybody enjoys music of some sort. And that can be an easy way to draw people's hearts to God and appease if they're under demonic oppression, you know, it stops that. So those are things that I used to do when I worked with adults and children with disabilities. And I got very good responses from that. So good, Jesse. And and by the way, if you're a parent listening, and it, it seems that we have a couple that have, have children like this, God didn't give you a test that you can't that you can't handle. Um, look, it can be difficult at times. And I want to encourage anyone who's listening to this, if you know someone that has a child or is in special needs that's in, in your circle of influence or in your community, that's a great way you can make a difference in your community. Maybe you can help out and maybe you're not qualified to work particularly with that individual, but you can support the parent by doing other things, you know, perhaps come over and cook a meal in their house for them or, you know, or help out with some chores or something so they can focus on the child. But, you know, that's how we make a difference in our community and you can really bless someone. And, and listen, it, it could be overwhelming. And I, you know, I have experience with, with, you know, I have some friends that are in this situation and, you know, you can really make a difference in their lives. And, uh, you know, a few of us got together and we had a we had a friend uh, I think he listens to the show so I don't I don't want to give out his name but I don't think he'll mind doing it but he was basically ready to he was you know they were saying six months to a year to live and his condition was so like his mind is very much intact uh, but he would his body was so bad that you know he'd pull up to a gas station and he had this car for over 20 years and you know it would take him an hour to get out of his car and put gas in his car like it was a big big effort and uh and you know he was just kind of he was on his way out he was diagnosed as like you know people were kind of saying goodbye to him and and uh, you know a bunch of people my myself included in the organization of it we uh we created a, a fundraiser called van for the man and we did this great event and we raised enough money to buy him a, a van. And this van gave him, he could pull out and, you know, fuel up his truck and get back in it. And because anytime he went anywhere to participate with anybody, the effort was so dramatic and, and it just changed this guy's life. Now, here's the best thing. Right after that happened, he meets this woman. They fall in love. They get married. Listen, I don't know how many years it is now, but I'll bet you they've been married about seven or eight years now. Uh, and, and by the way, she has a disability as well. They ain't going anywhere soon. They're active. They're doing things. They're getting out. They're doing And by the steward, I love you, Betty. I really do. I really do. Um, really good guy. And, uh, you know, so that's how you can make a difference in your community. And I'm not saying that to lift myself up at all. In fact, I'm just saying listen, this guy's life, he turned around because the community came together. Yeah, it, it does. And, you know, we had, we had an experience, you know, even, 
you can find little ways to help. We had, you know, one of our church members had an older son who was autistic, but he he loved anime and that was his world. You know, parents couldn't get him out of the house because he wanted to be in his room watching anime all day long. And, you know, so our family, we kind of liked some of those things too. And so we decided to start these anime days. And so we would take him for the whole day and, you know, just nonstop binge watch anime. And it was fantastic. I mean, this guy, if he could have gotten a job for one of the anime companies, you know, promoting it. I mean, he knew every single detail of every anime, knew all the little, you know, backstories, how it was made, who made it, you know, so it was kind of like very informational. Um, and he would just shine, you know, introducing all these animes, sharing all his information. And we had a blast, you know, and, and his parents would get a day off, you know, where they could just be with each other, didn't have to worry about him. Um, that was a very simple way that, you know, we were able to help and everybody benefited, you know, we, we loved it. Um, so think of creative things like that, you know, and step out, help people in your community um, who, you know, it, it is a full-time job. And a lot of times we don't realize that people who are full-time caregiving, whether it's an elderly individual, whether it's a, um, a child or an adult who has some disabilities, you know, they're working nonstop caregiving and, and they need to have a break now and then too. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And if any of my neighbors want to give a guy who does a podcast a break. <laughs> complaining. <laughs> I am not complaining. You set your own schedule. No complaining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My schedule is pretty full, Jesse. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, let's see one more from the email. And then uh, I think we're well, well, maybe one or two more questions and then we'll get to some announcements because I'm so excited about them, Jesse. And I'm probably gonna have to go on on a couple points. <laughs> Alrighty. So if those of you who complain that I talk too much, don't tune out because you might like what I say. <laughs> I think they will like what you have to say, so. All right, question for Jesse, which means shut up, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm glad you're going to take this one, Jesse. Oh, I'm going to read it in exact words because the words are a little bit jumbled in the format that it was sent. Um, there's a couple hyphens and stuff in here. But question for Jesse. When people talk about ascension, are they misguided? What's that about? Question mark. When people talk about aliens, are they just shape-shifting demons? Question mark. Explain, please. Also, the Vril. What are shapeshifters as well or real or what? So it's all kind of really categorized into one area. Yeah, I think the main area I'm hearing is explain shapeshifting demonic and aliens. Are they the same? Yeah, so... Um, in story-wise, or when people are talking about them, they are presented as two separate things. Um, people who are talking about 
demons or shapeshifters. Well, they may not even include demons or shapeshifters as demons in their definition. Um, you know, from what I understand, most people are going to define a shapeshifter as, you know, something that takes human form or has a human host and then changes the physical appearance of that human host, whether it be into a werewolf, a vampire, a reptilian, a, a lizard, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so that would be the definition of a shapeshifter versus an alien is believed to be an entity or a being from another galaxy or from outer space who, you know, has its own physical form it and comes to interact with humans. Um, from my personal experience, you know, I never witnessed or observed a reptilian shapeshifter. Um, the generation right before me, so that would be individuals like Kathy O'Brien, Fiona Barnett, um, several others, you know, they talk about when they witnessed shapeshifting, they saw, you know, individuals shapeshift into a reptilian form. Um, I did not ever experience that, but I, I did experience shapeshifters from, you know, what I saw it primarily was through the werewolf and the vampire protector departments. And so, you know, at age five, I witnessed a couple ceremonies where the five-year-olds for these clans um, that belong to the wolf or the vampire family clans, um, at age five, they enter into an agreement with, with the shape-shifting spirit that um, kind of is loyal to their family clan. And when they take that vow, um, that means that that spirit then can inhibit them and can change their physical form into a wolf or a vampire. Um, and so they're, they enter into that relationship with that spirit that does have the ability to physically change somebody's appearance. Um, you know, with the aliens, I knew that to be you know, it, it was part of the MK Ultra programming and primarily focused for individuals who were very scientific and tangible minded. So not, a, you know, not everybody believes in the spirit world, nor can they see, hear, or feel in the spirit world. All they see, hear, and experience is the physical world. And in programming, the primary goal is to connect individuals to a demonic host and how do you connect them to a demonic host if they don't believe they're not accepting of anything that's spiritual at all um so aliens became a way that um the occult found that they could you know give the person a spirit in a tangible form and that person then would reach out and try to connect and interact with that spirit in alien form. And that was how they created those connections.
So that's probably the best way I can answer that question. Amen. I think it's a great way. Uh, we've had another question on Buddhism, but I don't want to go down that road today. Um, by the way, Mr. Burns, you wrote something really kind of not nice about me. I just challenged you. Put up or shut up. Come on, buddy. Come on. <laughs> if you want to do a private interview, I'll put it, I'll put it on the air. I'll do that for you. I'll do it. You want a challenge? Okay. Come on. Come on. I I'm am not well, afraid to take on a critic. And by the way, there's plenty of things that I can be criticized for, and I'll take it. I'm not a perfect human being, but call me out. Let's do it, buddy. I'll put you on air. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun, Jesse? Speaking of people. You know, knowing Mr. Burns, that would totally be fun. He's one of our major prayer warriors. So so I missed the, the whole comment, I guess. You said so I'm I have being a wiener. Oh, okay, a wiener. Yes. All right. I would love to see you and Mr. Burns duke it out and have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I assume he's a good guy and it was in jest then. You never he's know. I've had to delete a couple people here today. So that, that probably yeah, got my, uh, my guard up a little bit. You know, he probably was just jazzing you. He, he is a great guy. So. <laughs> All right. Well, then my apologies, Mr. Burns. I had to, you know, there was a couple people writing some really uncool stuff in the chat. That's why we will have a moderator going forward. Um, right. So it looks like Mr. Burns has met your challenge and he says, okay, I'll come on with you, my man, Jesse. No. <laughs> <laughs> like we're going to have this wiener conversation sometime soon. <laughs> you know what? I have... I have to hold my tongue because I used to have a lot of really quick uh, retorts to comments. <laughs> well, here, here and, and some of them are funny, but you know, it might not go over great with the audience. Right. Marie has a great suggestion. I could see it working very well with Mr. Burns. She says, Jeff, can we interview you? So maybe we'll have Mr. Burns come on and interview you, Jeff. <laughs> well. And is Mr. Burns someone you know personally? Yes. All right, you trust him? Absolutely. All right, <laughs> then that's what we'll do if he is up to it. I didn't see his response, by the way. Okay, it, it was there. He did respond to you. So okay. he said, yeah. bring it on, my man. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on, right on. Okay. <laughs> So let's get to some announcements, Jesse. It's our 100th episode, so we need to announce things. And, you know, uh, first of all, I want to say uh, to the team that has been helping out with the SOS Army, uh, what a fantastic job. You really have been serving with excellence. And I appreciate it. And by the way, people who are just applying to the SOS Army, please be patient. We are actually getting better. We're putting in an email system and stuff like that. Um, the way we launched this was just to see if there's some interest. Um, and then we build the systems to catch up, uh, essentially, you know, is kind of the way that I do things, right or wrong, that's, that's how it goes. 
Um, and so that's what we did. And so the team is ramping up to meet the challenge. It might take a week. It might take a little bit longer. So we're putting people into categories and we do have to vet because believe it or not, there are some of these, you know, Illuminati minions who try to sneak in. And for instance, we would not want them on our prayer team, right? right? If you're in the trench and that's part of our, when we're building an army, it is a peaceful army. Uh, and, but prayer is a big part of it. Uh, but there's also a physical component where we're going to go to war against the media and use this unified voice and there's research and all kinds of different areas. So, you know, it was me, it was perhaps suggested that we shouldn't do a recruiting message this week so we can catch up a little bit. But I think of it this way. And so uh, this is, it's not justification. It's just the way I look at things, Jesse. If I'm a business owner and I have a promotion going on and there's a lineup at my door and it's hard for me to serve the lineup with <clears throat> as quick as I would normally serve my customers, I don't stop the promotion. I double down on it and, right. and bring in extra staff and get people promoted uh, within the ranks to help carry that. So that would be the instruction. Uh, that I would suggest is, you know, let's let's get more people uh, who have already been involved to get involved and help in that process. Because, listen, this is a war and the time is now where you cannot sit on your couch anymore and hope that someone is going to save your, you know, constitutional republic. Or, you know, if you don't want to be a slave, if you don't want to end up in a FEMA camp, you know, okay, is there a plan? Yeah, probably. In fact, yes, there is a plan. But the plan is for you to get involved. That's why they printed it, <laughs> right? Right. And so we're answering the call. And when we say we're building an army, which is what we are doing, an army goes into the theater and everyone in an army has a different uh, rank, has a different position. Some people are in communications. Some people are real foot soldiers. Some people will be doing other things. So there is room for you. If you don't know what your skill is, we're going to help you to find a place for you. There is a spot for you in this army that we are creating. And no, it's not a hands down dictatorship from Jesse and I. Look, we're just at the forefront of this. We're organizing it because we've been given this voice. And so we encourage you to send that email to write on Jeff, that's with a J, write on Jeff at gmail.com. Now, if we're going to have an army, Jesse, there are certain things an army needs. Yep. An army needs training. Absolutely. You can't Typically. go to war if you don't know how to war. So one of the things that we're going to be doing with this army is we're going to be giving some very specific training for the vertical that you are in. And so once in a while, you know, Jesse and I, or Jesse or I, will pop on and we'll give some training via a webinar or something of that sort, or even just uh, through, you know, a, an email. Uh, you will get some instructions. And by the way, uh, you're going to get communications from our captains 
Um, as we ramp up, there'll be, so, so it's gonna be constant communications, okay? We want to nurture you and disciple you into this army. So if you join the army, you're gonna get special training. Now, when I say that, it's not special insider news. We're not giving you the secrets. We're not, and by the way, a question that comes up all the time is when is the Antichrist gonna show? Probably soon, we don't know. Well, were we in the season? We think so, right? But we're not gonna answer those questions and it's not gonna be given in secret off air. So don't join for the wrong reasons. Right, Jesse? I agree, absolutely. Okay, so there will be stuff for people in the army. What else does an army need? Well, besides training? Yes. They need orders. Okay, they need orders. That's good. And that's why we have you, Jesse. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, there will be direction. We'll call it more direction than orders in this because really it's, we're all kind of fighting together. Um, you know, basically when you get a rank, it's just because we, we have a greater relationship and there's more trust in that mutual relationship. Uh, it has nothing to do with abilities. Everyone is welcome to do it. But Jesse, well, first of all, we're gonna need some funds for this army because we're gonna have some projects and armies need equipment. So we're Maybe. gonna need some funds. And another thing, that an army needs are uniforms. Ah, I just know where you're going. You're going towards that big, long, you know, by now I think we're beyond a trench coat with all those names that you've given. <laughs> so we are coming out with our own store, which is gonna be really uh, value price. The designs are in the works right now. Um, I don't know, maybe next week, maybe the week after, but we will be launching it. And that is one way we're gonna be able to collect funds. And by the way, the shirts and that are gonna be really cool. There's gonna be mugs, there's all kinds of stuff. So, and, by, and there's no obligation, by the way, there's no obligation, but it's gonna be really cool gear. And, you know, if you wanna be in an army, wear a uniform. Just say it, right. but no obligation. Uh, the other thing that we are going to do now, Jesse has incredible skills and talents as you, the audience knows. I also have some talents and Jesse and I have talked a lot off air. She knows more than the listening audience does, but I have a background and some things that might be interesting to you and might help make your life better. I agree with that 100%, Jeff. You have quite a bit of knowledge that will advance and benefit people in their daily lives. So not putting me on the spot, but do you want to talk a little bit about some of the, because I don't like talking about myself, to be honest. <laughs> Just why? No, I think you're great about talking about yourself. <laughs> um, no, I, I was excited. I don't know how much you want me to share, but you know, one of the, I think one of the, your greatest talents um, is, is teaching different methods and different forms of what I would classify as discipling in stewardship. And that's a, 
it really is a lost discipline that the church doesn't teach in a lot of areas. So um, you've got some great things on different, I, I don't want to give people the full spectrum, but, um, you know, especially financial stewardship and other forms of stewardship, but some amazing things that are very practical, helpful, and even some of the basic things you've already taught me have already been making a huge difference in that area in my life. So, um, so when we put our knowledge together, right, can lives be changed? Absolutely. Yeah. So let me announce. Jesse and I are starting a school. And I, I believe that our teachings really complement each other mm -hmm. uh, in dramatic ways. And I believe it'll be life-changing. I think that you apply to these. So one of the things that I like to teach when we say stewardship, it sounds like kind of a bland subject and it's not a get rich quick thing or anything like that. In fact, it's quite the opposite of it. But no matter where you are in life, I can prove to you that if you follow God's laws, you can provide genera generationally for your family. Yep. And that is a blessing. In fact, we are called to do it as Christians. We're actually called to run this world. We let the Luciferians do it. It's time we usurp what they have done. So what they've done and Jesse and I talked about this at length. They're following God's laws. Just like the Valentine's Day, they just flip it on its head and do it. But they're following it. It's like they're crafty lawyers. And so they've been able to get all this power. And so they create wealth. They've created the financial system, which is based on fiat currency. They created wealth. They create their own money. God has given us permission to create money. He's given us permission to create the wealth. No one talks about it. Instead, in church, we're just taught, hey, listen, give. God will see your heart, and the miracle's coming your way. Give there's the more to it than that. Yeah, give the 10%, and everything will be good. And then people do that. They give the 10%, and you know, some for some individuals, that works. For the majority, you know, they still find themselves in this endless cycle of debt and poverty. And then they conclude it didn't work for whatever reason, God's not happy with me. And so they stop even giving the tithe, the 10%. And, you know, the enemy has a stronghold on them. And by the way, we're not against the tithe by any means. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think quite often, and I don't want to make a blanket statement, it is not taught in the proper fashion. Right. Uh, there's, a, a, there's a whole lot to talk about the tithe. Uh, the tithe can be a very good thing. Uh, but if you do it with the wrong heart, for instance, it could backfire. Like if you're tithing to get something back, guess what? It's not going to work because God can, God can hear your thoughts, Right. He's not going to reward that. Okay, you put 10 bucks in the bin. You know, it's, uh, but you did it to get 100 back? Come on. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So really excited. We've got a great name for it. I'm not going to announce the name yet because I want to sit on it a little bit, but this school is eminent. And I would say in the next couple of weeks, we've already got some of it ready to go. Um, just need some touch-ups. And by the way, we're not going to spend a lot on production or anything like that. It's going to be a little bit raw, uh, but the content will be king in the process. Like what we don't want to spend all kinds of money on huge production, making it look slick and stuff like that. We just care about the information to you. So I want to say that up front, uh, but it will be amazing. I agree. It will be amazing. So Jesse, 100 episodes. Congratulations. You as well. And thank you to the audience for joining us on this 100th episode. Uh, boy, this time has gone by fast. I think we've been on about, well, a little bit over an hour and a half Yeah. now. And uh, it's just been a ton of fun. Uh, we'll do more questions. Uh, we didn't get to them all today, obviously, but we'll do more questions, you know, in the future and we'll keep going on. Um, we do have some focuses that we're going to put the army on as far as the future of the show. Uh, look, the show is going to be evolving right now. Look, we want to cover news, but you know, as I said before, most of the news, there's so much misinformation. Look, we believe in what we believe. We believe that things are going to be okay in the short term and we're coming into a really blessed time. Um, we do have to focus on that. We still have to pray about that but we're gonna be covering the bigger story going forward, which is really the fall of the dark side and the rising of the fake light side. Right. Because uh, that is really the story you know, of all time right now. And uh, maybe we'll be on air when, he, when Jesus comes back on the white horse in the sky and we'll be able to call it. And now breaking <laughs> through the clouds, I see here comes a hoof. Yes, it's him. I see the sword. <laughs> it's like, eyes blazing like fire. And look on his side, <laughs> King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is him. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm my wife has vanished. Why am I still here? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, you know, I'm going to claim this right now, Lord. We want to break the news of your coming. <laughs> Amen. Let it be so. Prayer warriors, you know, let's uh, because you're all involved in it. If we could be calling it. That would be awesome. <laughs> and Lord, we know you you're waiting to get the dispatch, but if you could just give us like two minutes notice ahead of anyone else, you know, I'd maybe do it while we're on air, Father. You know. <laughs> oh, I now I need to put in a sunroof in my house. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay, this is expensive. I don't know I if I can get the budget approval. We need a sunroof, Jeff, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, Jesse, thank you. Have a blessed day. Remember, love your God. Put him before everything in your life. Love your family because they're valuable. Love your neighbors because you're commanded to. And make a difference in your community. Right on radio. Right on radio.